Podcast 030, review of the movie Broken Limbs. Sponsored by my buddies at PantryParatus.com. They sell food preservation tools. Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest. All right, so this is Paul Wheaton. I'm here with Jocelyn Campbell, and we just got done watching the movie Broken Limbs. Right, and being a native Washingtonian, it's odd that it's taken me so long to see this because this is about the Washington apple industry. How do you know you're not Washingtonoids? <laughs> because an oid sounds like a robot or something. Washers, you can be washers. No, Washingtonian, but I don't <laughs> say it very clearly. <clears throat> well, Shabbat. Yeah, something. <laughs> right, now, this is the third time I've seen this movie. And this time, seeing the movie, it's like a different movie. I, I, you know, I was sure that there were certain things in this movie that were not in this movie. Like, it's changed. Like, it's different. We we watched it on Instant View on Netflix. And, and maybe it is a different director's cut or a, a new, you know, release or something. Um, but I, I wouldn't know. I haven't seen it before. Okay, well, you know, I, I don't think it's just one of those things where it's been too long or since I've seen it before or, or whatever. I, I think that there are things that are different mm-hmm. in, in this version. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, I, I guess, I you know, as we go along, we, we I mean, look, you, how, did you take two pages of notes? I did. Oh, man. All I right. did. Well, there, there were lots of little facts being thrown out of there, and I... I don't remember specifics from books or movies. I, I remember generalities, typically. And and I some of these specifics I wanted to remember. Well, up until watching this version of the movie, I, I you know, what I would do is, is for anybody that's trying to make a living as a farmer, I would strongly advocate seeing this movie. Now, with this version of this movie, and I'm just going to stick to the idea that there's two versions out there, and, and in which case maybe I'm just crazy. But with this version of the movie, um, a lot of the messages that I thought were really important just didn't seem to be there in this version. And, um, uh, you know, granted, there were still a lot of good messages there. And the, the general uh, overall message of the movie is, is you know, pretty much intact. But, um, uh, like... Well, anyway, uh, we'll we'll cover the little bits as we go along. Uh, I I still think that it's it's a, an important movie for people who are farmers to see, who are seeking farm income to see this movie. Right. Um, it it painted quite the picture between conventional agriculture and organic agriculture. I I think, um, and the big and small farms. I think. It, what the impression I was left with, and this is a sweeping generality, is if you're big, you have to be mega big in order to make it. And, and there's some specifics along with that. But if you're if you're not mega big, you kind of need to be small and and sell directly to the consumer in order to make it. So it was an interesting contrast. It I okay I can see your point. And it did seem like anybody who tried to be in the middle 
got screwed. Yeah. And and we they part of the movie was showing people whose farms are being foreclosed on, and and it did kind of seem like a little bit of it was. Um, like some like that like you know they talk about at the beginning of the movie that the dad um, had financing to the bank and then one year the bank came and said we've decided to not be in the financing business anymore pay it all now and of course and then you know and it sounded like the dad had the nads to stand up and say I am going to make this as painful for you as possible. And by doing that, somehow got everything to work out. But then that other family, it sounds like they got the same thing, and then their farm was foreclosed on and sold from from under them. Sold that auction. Yeah, so it's, it's a lovely narration by the son of... Uh, he's a fourth-generation apple orchard farmer, and he says he's the broken limb, hence hence the title, Broken Limb. A lot of um, children of the apple farmers um, in the generation of the narrator, in the current generation, weren't making money at apple farming, and so they were choosing other occupations. So he was talking about, you know, this family tradition was going away. Um, so when they talked about um, the Wenatchee area of Washington where they grow apples, they said there's 4,000 apple growers in Washington State and 12 billion apples each season. I, I think that's pretty massive. That is a lot, and and you know they didn't mention how many there used to be, did they? Not and in apples. You get the impression that it's shrinking. Oh, they talk about farmers in general. They did. They talked uh, about a, some interesting statistics there. But you started jumping into the guy's dad, and so the narrator, uh, from looking at the credits, I think his name was Guy Evans, and his father, Denny Evans, had 130 acres in in apple orchards in Wenatchee. So um, he was small compared to other apple orchards. And the big ones that keep getting, turning into these huge conglomerates. So I just wanted to give background because you jumped in talking about the guy, the, the dad. Right. Dan and and uh, I, mean, I, I mean, basically it's conventional ag and like you were saying earlier, conventional versus organic. And, and a lot of the, um, and then there's also, you know, and we can leave behind the word conventional, we can even talk about industrial. Yeah. Industrial ag versus what, small farmer ag, I suppose? Right. Um, and uh, it, it kind of seemed like, you know, the result of the movie was, so I'm giving it all away, but hey, you know, the, the movie's kind of old, probably a good five years old or better, so if you haven't seen it yet, then I'm not really giving it, you know, <laughs> you should have seen it earlier <laughs> before I gave it away. Uh, and and it seemed like what, what the message was is that they had these guys that were doing the uh, uh, conventional, and, um, and they're, you know, bigger. Typically, you know, uh, uh, 100 acres or better, and um, they their their whole mission was to uh, raise orchards. You know, all the trees lined up in a great big old monocrop, and then they go out and they, uh, um, uh, they they do all the stuff throughout the winter and the spring and everything. And then the, you know, 
bring in a whole bunch of people to do the harvest all at once um, in the fall. And of course, you know, the harvest will probably be spread out over two or three months, because, you know, with all the different varieties of apples. And then uh, you, you take your uh, your big old boxes of apples over to the factory, where um, you know the, the factory processes them, and then they they get uh, there's these guys in suits that go and schmooze with the um, the, the big grocery store suits, and and uh, they play golf and they work out deals, and and the next thing you know, uh, 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 several semi truck loads of apples are going over to you know uh, grocery stores. And so, um, uh, and then all these different people. Well, anyway, that's that's the conventional route, the big. And then basically, those guys get just pennies per pound for for the for the apples. I thought the the one couple that were being foreclosed upon, and they were they ended up losing their farm, having it sold at auction. Um, she she went through a nice, lovely list. She said, you know, when you buy your apple from the grocer, you know. The grocer takes a piece of that money. The wholesaler takes a piece of that money. The broker takes a piece of that money. The trucker who ships apples takes a piece. And the warehouse that's stored or um, the packer, the packer or the warehouse takes a piece. And then there's not that much left for the farmer. Right. I thought that she went through that really well. I, I liked the part where she said that, Everybody gets paid the same every year, year in, year out, except the farmer. The farmer takes all the risk. Mm. So um, if it's a crap crop, the farmer doesn't get you know, much or could go under, but um, uh, but you know the grocer gets paid the same, the broker gets paid the same, the trucker gets paid the same. Everybody else still has work, and everybody else still gets paid the same. Mm-hmm. And um, but then it's like you know if there's some sort of fluctuations, and they were talking about what some sort of market adjustment or something like that. If there's any kind of market adjustment, then the farmer has to eat it. Yeah, it's expected that the farmer eats it. Well, and the other thing too that that struck me is they said that any extra money they had, if they had a good year, they would just pour that money back into the orchard. And so all of their money was invested in their land and in their orchard and then they lost it. Um, uh, Anyway. um, Well, all right. So the thing I was going with was the idea of like, you've got your conventional, you've got your industrial kind of a thing going on there. And then there were the people who had the small farm, <laughs> and uh, and they would have like five acres or ten acres or something like that. <laughs> and um, uh, and a lot of them, apples wasn't their only thing. <laughs> and um, those guys were often selling directly to the consumer or uh, you know uh, directly, directly to, to the to store a, to, to mm-hmm. a small co-op like store or. Or something like that, and and um, it seemed like they were getting a lot more money per pound for what they were providing. Right. And so they were doing they were doing much better. In fact, one of them was. It sounded like they had five acres yeah. of an orchard, and they and they were part of the process of taking it to the warehouse. And then they they uh, had uh, a hail. They had hail one year. <laughs> and they had a big sneeze. That's great. <laughs> That's great on the podcast. 
So, uh, uh, so they so they they got hit by hail and they realized that they were going to lose the farm because they weren't going to get enough money that year and they're like just on the edge of losing the farm every year. So instead what they did was they took their beat up apples into Seattle and they went to a farmer's market and they sold them really cheap and they told the people like, well, what's up with the funky apple? They would say, it's just hail, man. You got hit by hail. And then people would just buy these cheap apples that had got hit by hail. And um, they actually ended up with enough money to, to pay everything that year. And then they were like realizing, wow, selling direct really pays. Now, this is an item for that particular group. Well, okay, the overall movie was like people who were going down conventional road were barely scraping by and going under. And the people that did not play that game were doing pretty good. And these people that I was just talking about, in the movie, they said, now we've paid off the land with right. the income from selling apples. And the thing is, is, this is a big difference in between what we just saw and what I recollect seeing of this movie in the past. And my memory is that their business model was is that they sold apples over the Internet. They, they did a... Uh, uh, an Apple subscription program. Get your Apple of the Week thing. Right, and that wasn't in this movie version, but they, you know, but they did say they have five acres. They're they're making a living. They are paying for a child in college, uh, and they own their own land. They paid it completely off. Which, you know, this this. Uh, five acres. Now, the guy, Denny Evans, who they started the movie with, the father of the narrator, he had 130 acres, and he was $750,000 in debt. Uh, And that's when the bank said he had to pay it all, all at once. Now, at the end of the movie, they did say he had done some diversification and figured out how to pay that. But um, but still, it seemed like it was a big struggle for him. And then, so the other organic farmer was Grant Gibbs, and he had 20 acres. Right, and I'm going to go see. I'm, I'm, I've got an appointment to go there um, uh, here in about a week and a half. And uh, but it's kind of loosey goosey. I, I have to firm it up a little bit. Um, but hopefully, it'll get, but you know, back back to the dad. Yeah. I think an important thing is so he had 130 acres, and yeah. at the very end of the movie, they said that he's selling off like five acres here and five acres there oh, in order to pay to for pay everything. Things. Oh, that's right, he was. And right. so I don't know. Is it going to end up being that he's on 10 acres and he still owes 750 thousand dollars? I don't know. I I think he had figured out how to make his loan payments, and he didn't have to pay the whole thing. He got got that figured out. Uh, I don't remember the exact phrasing. But and he he had a fruit stand all along, um, and he was starting to grow grapes and wanted to do a little winery as a diversification because he wasn't making money in apples anymore. Ouch! Now that was another thing too is that they they kept burning trees. Why were they burning the trees? Yeah, they were saying they had to, they showed this from several orchards, that they had to cut losses by cutting down the trees. 
and and then they would burn the trees and and i i didn't understand that either i you know they didn't explain why they had to cut the losses to cut them down i guess by cutting them down uh maybe to plant the grapes or maybe i think they were saying the implication I'm jumping to is that they didn't have to maintain them. And if they were conventional agriculture and they think they have to keep applying pesticides and herbicides and fungicides, things like, not, you know, on the orchard, maybe they're thinking they're saving money by not having to maintain them uh, that way. Well, I know that they talked about putting in a Home Depot somewhere and they were they tearing out an orchard to put in a Home Depot. And it's kind of like, well, you know, how is it that a community is thriving so well that they get to have a Home Depot, but yet it seems like all the messages were that all of the orchards were going under, that it's like they were all just barely making it, if at all. Well, they they talked a lot when they were talking about the Home Depot and the subdivisions that were replacing orchards and things like that. They were saying that people were now getting their apples from the global market. They're getting right. the real cheap apples from Southern America, you know, all the different places. Which doesn't explain how it is that, you know, the Wenatchee area is growing. But, but yeah, they went into a lot. I mean, the, the, the general layout of the movie is for the first half of the movie, you really get this powerful message of, of oh, farming sucks. You know, it's like we go and we see this guy, and it's like he was going to retire, but now all he's got is $750,000 of the debt and, you know, um, a business that's going to go under any day now, and um, it's just sad and depressing. Now let's flash over to these other people. Oh, look, their house is being foreclosed upon, and now they uh, now they are homeless, and he's taking up a job as a janitor now. And um, and she she tried to get a job, but she lost her job. And it's like uh, then they then they kind of went into this area where they started talking about the global market. And it's like the so the the mega super orchards have bought up all the warehouses and stuff like that. And they're all forming these uh, cooperatives or whatever uh, uh, conglomerations. They're trying to work together in order to be able to compete on the global market. It's like well we're competing with China and we're competing with Chile and we're competing with all these other uh, countries who are bringing it in on big boats and and we have to you know compete with these guys yeah that they talked about the Apple Commission which was the marketing arm basically I think for Washington apples and and it had losses it, it wasn't able to do the marketing um, and and I think that impacted the the smaller growers and so then the packing there was one uh, Apple orchard company one of the mega companies they weren't making money on apples but since they diversified and they also owned a apple packing plant that's where they made their money on packing the apples so here they were making money off of all these farmers that needed a packing plant that, you know, maybe a lot of farmers who were going out of business, but then they did their own conglomeration to do their own marketing for the apples that they packed, and so they were quite successful at that and making money there. And then the other orchardist was one that was buying up all these small farms. They kept showing all these right. different farms they bought up, warehouses they bought up, and they 
ten, I think they had 10,000 acres of orchards, and, and that's how they were making it work, to be mega, mega orchards. So they they went into all this boring detail about global markets and and uh, you know how you've got to you know be able to schmooze all these people and and you know you've got to be able to outbid and come in cheaper and and you know optimize your systems and and you know the way to optimize it is is uh, you know reduce all the redundancies and 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 things of that nature and and you know process process process. Then the movie starts to transition into uh, that guy who was some sort of professor from the Midwest. John Eichard. Yeah. I-K-E-R-D. And and so then he started talking about the triple bottom line, and he started talking about how you need to have farmers, like this new wave of farmers that's going to, uh, oh, the new American farmers. Uh, And he was uh, combined with the new American consumers and um, and how the new farmers were going to, you know, need to use, he kept using the word innovation. You know, they needed to be innovative. They, they needed to be creative. They needed to, you know, and uh, a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, and um, I know that a lot of people are really keen on the triple bottom line stuff and everything like that. I I think that that's lovely and everything and and sure you can find some people that are willing to subscribe to that and will be that that new wave of consumer and everything and they went into a lot of the new wave of consumer they went into uh, CSAs and they talked about all those kinds of things too but I I I think that it's better to go way beyond that and it's like you know let's talk about making let's talk about making money let's just you know I think that's what Seth Holter does. He just he doesn't think about the triple bottom line. I think what he does is he focuses on making money, and it turns out that through permaculture practices, you make more money than with anything else. And oh, by the way, along the way, these other two bottom lines come along for the ride. Right. You just they they follow you there. They just can't get rid of them. Right. Well, I thought the movie did a good job of contrasting that. I think the part you're talking about that was boring when they started interviewing these mega orchard people and these mega packers, and they're talking about all this corporate strategy for pricing and negotiating and all of that stuff. It did seem surreal. It it seemed like these are apples. (laughs) And And then you contrasted that with Grant Gibbs, who said, You make the food connection happen. You grow an apple, and you get it to someone's mouth. And he just got it so much more um, simple. How did he describe Grant Gibbs? What was that? Here's a man who lives on... I can't read your writing. Oh, here's a man who lives on the fringes of society. <laughs> and and he starts out, Grant Gibbs starts out saying, you know, I live within my means. I drive a battered pickup, and I, you know, a lot of people don't live within their means, and I do. So he was... He was really comfortable with being a fringy, hippie-looking guy. That's really true. Grant Gibbs' pickup was definitely 15 years too old. (laughs) And then when you look at the people whose home was being foreclosed on, they had a brand-new truck. You know, and it's kind of like uh, that's a so it makes a good. I think that's a good point there. 
Yeah. You know, um, uh, but I, it, it was it was a huge contrast. I mean, here John Eichard was talking about the theory of sustainable agriculture and, and theorizing and philosophizing about it. And you're right, that's kind of out there. But I think the Jersey Boys Farm, the one the people on five acres where they paid off their land, and Grant Gibbs on 20 acres getting food selling directly to co-ops. And we could talk about what he went through when they were trying to lower his prices. But, I mean, these were people that are really doing sustainable agriculture. And they talked about, they showed Grant Gibbs' place a little bit more than they showed the Jersey Boys farm, you know, and they talked about his systems and methods at his farm, which are very permaculture. Yeah, now my understanding is, is that is that Grant, calls his stuff permaculture, and I haven't been there yet. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I once saw his webpage, and I think it did mention permaculture. Sure. But I saw, I also saw what looked like when they were showing the video this time, I saw images of his place that I I don't think was in the previous movie that I saw, and it looked like orchards, and orchards are not a permaculture thing. So maybe he's, maybe he inherited some orchards, and he's like permaculture-ifying them as best as he can. Well, yeah, I just felt um, the movie was showing as examples. Okay, here we got these huge conglomerates that are doing things in this mega... You know, you either have to be mega to make money, but that's not very sustainable. Get big or get out. Or here's some small organic farmers that are doing the triple bottom line. They're economically viable, they're being socially responsible, and ecologically sound. So so they were kind of doing an example of something that was a little more heady philosophy. So I thought that was that was pretty well done. See, now, I, I think both of those people, um, I mean, granted, I think that they are looking at the triple bottom line. Both of those people, so if we look at these two, the, you know, uh, Grant Gibbs, and we look at the, the the Jersey Boys Farm, those two from the movie, I imagine that they were both looking at the triple bottom line, but but I I kind of can't help but think that 85 to 90 percent of their looking at the triple bottom line is looking at just economic viability. And and I think that what the, you know the conclusion they're coming to is that if they go organic um, and if they go and take care of their own marketing and they they go for a niche that you know and that they're basically being more creative and smarter about it that they end up making more money per acre than uh, the people that are sticking to the conventional techniques. Right, right. I think I think where some of those other portions of the triple bottom line came in is is the small farms are not the anonymous farmer. They pointed this out in the movie too. Like like the Denny Evans on his 130 acres or more. Those people are kind of more the anonymous farmers that they they don't really care if they meet the people who are eating their apples or they're kind of comfortable in the background or it's this whole different era of farming. But these small organic ones, they're not anonymous. They're buddies with the co-ops they sell to. They meet their consumers at the farmer's market. It's a very personal, social True. Very real connection. I thought that was really different. I thought they, they highlighted that pretty well in the movie. Yeah. 
They they did, although, um, you know, your example, though, of the guy, of the dad, mm -hmm. I mean, he has his own little market, right? He did have a market so stand. You're right. A fruit stand. You're right. You're right. You're right. Consuming this. You're right. So, um, I, I think I think that the important thing is is that like if you look at the if you look at Grant Gibbs, I mean if you look at if you look at the dad, if they come to him and say because uh, there, there did get to be this point in the movie where they're talking about twenty six dollars a box for apples versus twenty one dollars a box for apples, mm -hmm. and so I imagine that what they go to the dad and they said, yeah, last year it was twenty six. I know that was tight, and this year you only get twenty one that that guy's going to say, well, I'm going to take what I can get. That's all I can get. And then I'm going to have to find a new way to try and make that work next year. Mm -hmm. And then in the meantime, Grant Gibbs, he was presented with that, and he said, well, then I'll just feed the apples to my pigs. And then they came back, and they said, you know what? It turns out we will give you $26 a box. And then he, so he continued to sell them at $26 a box. Now, they tried to say that there was other stuff behind that. It's like, oh, you know, we just love you, and so we're going to give you to because that's the right thing to do. And I, that's what they said happened in the movie. But I read, my reading between the lines was that Grant Gibbs said, I'm just going to feed them to my pigs. And then, the, and then they're like, you know, no, okay, they'll they'll pay it. I mean, basically, they're they're playing hardball, and Grant Gibbs knows how to play. Well, yeah, he said that worked for eight out of ten of his customers. Yeah. So um, I think that's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Well, he has pigs too. That's also right. A big help and a diversification. Yeah. He'll turn it. He'll just take that fruit and turn it into pork, and and he'll have a yeah. He'll have another market, and then if they ever change their mind, and because you know people don't like the other fruit that they get, then then they can pay him you know the twenty six bucks a box that he wants. Well, right, and so so I think the movie was holding out Grant Gibbs and the Jersey Boys Farms as the new American farmers, the ones that are innovating. They're they're doing the sustainable agriculture, according to John Eichard, and um, and they were talking that that and actually the narrator got really personal with this for himself. He said, um, you know, we don't just need new American farmers; we need new American consumers as well. Ones that are, you know, as we watched in Food Matters, they're voting with their forks, and. Um, so the narrator had said he'd learned all kinds of frugality growing up with farming parents and the fourth generation farmer and you have to be frugal and and to make a farm work. And he said that same frugality probably led him to buying imported apples instead of uh, more sustainably raised local apples. So, so that was kind of an interesting thing. And then there was that gal with that alliance out of Oregon, um, and I forget the full name of the alliance. I didn't write that down. Um, it's some kind of food alliance for, you know, not an organic label, but it was some kind of, you know, this food's been raised sustainably type label. And she said of all the produce managers she's spoken to, if 10 people ask for a change in the produce department, the produce managers will try to make it happen. And so she said, you know, a lot of people go by and don't ask, but if you ask, you can start creating some change in your local produce department. 
And so the thing, of course, is to learn what to ask. Mm. And and um, uh, I I really kind of feel like okay, so the vote with your fork thing. I think that came from that B movie, didn't it? I mean, oh, vanishing, vanishing of the bees. Of the bees. Not food matters. I think I think that uh, um, the the idea is is that yeah, what was causing the problem for the colony collapse disorder was that one pesticide being used on on certain crops, and um, and the, 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 the so what causes colony collapse disorder and what could cause all of our food problems in the future turns out to be pesticides. And and then if if you like the idea of you know not dying from lack of food, from, I mean I, I imagine starving to death is a pretty rough way to go. Then then yeah, vote with your fork. And the only reason they're putting the pesticides on it is because people keep paying for it. And then if people say I'm not going to do that anymore. And then they vote with their fork. And then plus the other thing is, is I like the old, I like that statement that people have, I've heard before. It's like when people say, oh, organic food is expensive. Well, have you priced cancer lately? You know, um, I, it's like I, I like the idea that the reason why that people go and, and, and buy the organic is, is, has to do with the fact that it's cheaper. You know, and, and I like, you know, we advocate permaculture systems a lot. I think that the, in the end, the, the, the permaculture food is better for you, and the permaculture food should end up being cheaper to raise. So if you sell it for the same amount as what it's being sold for at the grocery stores now, you should be many dollars ahead. It should be far cheaper and easier. Uh, a lot of it because you don't have to go and give 80% of your income to the chemical companies. So um, uh, I, I I think that I, I, I mean rather than focus on because I, I kind of wonder you know what how much of the market how much of the food market right now is organic is it twenty percent I, I imagine it's less than twenty percent I imagine because if you go out in the Midwest I imagine you'd be hard pressed to find any organic food other than maybe in Chicago I mean it's it's a big country out there and and I and most of it is going to be people that are going to not ever be caught dead buying organic because the uh, people on the radio tell them that's hippie food, you know, and are you a, are you a stinky liberal or are you one of us, you know, right. and how dare you show your face in church if you've bought organic. So and I don't know if it's quite that bad. I, there's been some national organic organizations that are talking about the growing market share for organics, and it's increasing everywhere. But you know, I don't I don't travel through the Midwest, so I don't know. Um, I, I just think it's tough for us to speculate sitting sitting where we sit. You know, you're you're in Missoula where there's there's a lot of support for organics, and here in the Pacific Northwest, I think there's a lot of support for organics as well. True. True, um, and at the same time, you know, you can. It, it, I mean, like I know that I've been in communities, been in areas where, when you go to the grocery store, there's utterly nothing organic in the grocery store, and um, uh, and so 
I, I do think that you know things need to need to improve, and and the thing is is that uh, the vote with your fork thing is is really really the most important thing. I like the idea of the triple bottom line, but I just think most people aren't going to buy into it. And I really think that the place where change is really going to happen is with the farmers. If the farmers can make more money doing organic than doing conventional, or even better yet, make even more money doing permaculture systems than doing organic, then I think we're going to really see a lot of change. And I think that's the place where I'd like to see the focus happen. And um, I also really like the idea from, from, again, from the Vanishing of the Bees movie, where they talk about the idea of it's better to have, rather than having one farmer with, or one person with with 60,000 colonies, uh, they'd rather see 60,000 people with one colony. And so um, I, I like the idea of seeing a lot more of that as well, although it can be harder to get consistency and whatnot. But, like, when we watched this movie today, we saw monocrop after monocrop after monocrop, and even with the good guys, once again, even with the good guys, we're seeing it. Right. So, yeah, that's, when you're talking about 60,000 hives with one person versus one hive each of 60,000 people, it reminded me of the comment they made in the movie that they didn't expound on, but they said, you know, uh, with all these farmers going out of business, economists will say, well, that's a market correction. You know, you, your prices are too high, so you go out of business. And, and their prices, you know were higher than all the cheap imported apple prices. Now, you know, so the narrator said, well, is that a market correction or is that really a market mistake that we're buying imported food um, or artificially inexpensive food um, instead of buying local food? And and so that's 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 a whole nother ball of wax. But I think that's a I think that's an important. Uh, How does it get to be artificially inexpensive? I think artificially inex is what I'm using to say. Well, yeah, we're shipping that across the earth. You know, I mean, it's it's. I mean, we're shipping it from wherever um, because we have. Temporarily, we have cheap oil, and I think the cheap oil may seem inexpensive right now, but there's other costs associated with all that transportation and oil use, and then there's the labor in those other countries that is not always as supported as labor here, and there's there's or even if it was um, cheap produce here that, and, and I'm sorry, I'm not coming up with this very smoothly, <laughs> you know, you, you know, when, when it's depleting the soil or, or polluting the environment and, and, and those costs aren't built into the price of the food, that's how it can be artificially inexpensive. Or, or it's creating health problems for the workers, or they're not, well, yeah, or poverty, or poverty issues for the workers. I mean, even if it's in another country, the U.S. gives aid to other countries quite frequently, you know. So we may be paying for it in other ways. Well, that's okay. a stretch. But. Yeah, I think it's a big, complicated space. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I would like to think that 
in a, in a good permaculture system, apple trees would be one thing that would end up taking almost no work. I mean, you know, Fukuoka's techniques, I mean, and that's another thing, too. Like, Fukuoka, he would sell his grain because he was so passionate about making his point that he sold his grain for the exact price that um, that was the going rate for grain. And so he took it to a certain store, and, and he was emphatic that that store had to sell it for the exact same price, and uh, that he sold all the other grain. And, um, and so it's kind of like, so Fukuoka, you know, it, it still, it, it, so he was, he was basically coming out ahead with his techniques, making money, and he wasn't selling it for like big gobs of money more. He was selling it for the same. So, um, but I, I don't agree with that. I, I like the idea of um, coming up with a premium product and selling it for a much higher price. Now, I, you know, and I thought that that's what the Jersey Boys were doing. Is that they were they were selling Apple subscriptions, right? And that um, they were you know probably getting uh, maybe three or four dollars a pound for their apples, right? As opposed to getting you know twenty to forty cents per pound, right? So I I was kind of thinking that was really rather brilliant, yay for them. And and then I've got the ideas about how you know if you grow it in a polyculture and you do it permaculture style and stuff like that, I think. A lot of vegans are going to be willing to buy their food from someplace where it's um, much gentler on the animal populations than than current organic practices. And plus, plus the nutrition and flavor should be superior when it's grown on the polyculture. Therefore, you can garner double the price, triple the price. Now you're really making money. Right. Well, in the, in the artificially inexpensive food, I think you mentioned the health care costs, so I know I'm circling back to that a little bit, but you mentioned, you know, you're a big proponent of the possible health benefits of polyculture food, and, the, and, and, and just naturally grown food is so much more healthy for you. You're not getting carcinogens on your food, so it is a lot cheaper than paying all the health care costs, so I'm kind of back tracking on a bunch of uh, random connections to that. Right. So, what's left on our list? Look at all those notes. <laughs> the, the one thing you wanted to talk about, we talked a little bit about um, cutting his, the orchardists cutting their losses by cutting down the trees. And then they burned all the trees. Right, and so then I took your pad away, and I wrote down on your pad of paper, burning the trees versus hugel culture. Yeah. And again, this is something where they, they just don't know about hugel culture. Right. But um, uh, I would think that even, like, let's say that they're going to do it because they've decided to uh, not have red delicious apples anymore, and instead they're going to try and raise grapes. And so, yeah, rather than burning the trees, then they put them, you know, mash them into a hoop culture bed, and and then they uh, um, they can get much better flavor from their grapes if that's what they're doing. But of course, you know, this is something that most people aren't aware of as even an option. Right, right, right. 
don't, I, you know, I I love the contrast between the big mega growers and then the more personable organic growers. Um, so it was, it, you know, even though it starts out rather depressing about how difficult it is for all, you know, for a lot of orchardists, uh, apple growers to make a living, um, they showed a change and, and how some people are finding a way to make a living and and do quite well. So um, I always find that very hopeful. It was very cool. I think it's a good movie. I think it's something that folks um, should watch, especially if they're thinking about um, being in business um, and, and that, it, you know, getting involved with um, – Doing the, the the with the commodity folks, where it's like you have to show up, and if you don't have a semi truck load, they don't even want to talk to you. I think trying to deal with those folks is just it's just not worth it. Um, smaller is way better. Um, and and uh, you know uh, how about an how about a little honor system thing? In fact, when I was driving through Apple Country last fall, um, I saw on the side of the road. Somebody said it said organic apples ten dollars a box, and they were smaller boxes. But um, I stopped. It was probably twenty pound box. I don't know, um, ten bucks. So there's a little cash. There's like a little fishing tackle box over the hole in the top of it, and it said money goes here. So um, I grabbed the box and put my put my ten bucks in. I I could actually put a little bit more in there. And went on my merry way. I, I really think that uh, there's a lot to be said for that style. Now, of course, if you're selling apples, which they were, and, like, every property there is an apple orchard, you might not do as well as if you had some other things there, too, you know, uh, other vegetables and other fruits and, and stuff like that. But, you know, apples do keep well. So it was probably easier to manage. Um, I, I would like the idea of seeing like a, a little bit more to the honor systems stand than than just apples. Just apples, right, right. So, um, but anything else? That you know, I I went round and round on the same thing over and over. I think we, <laughs> I think I've I've talked enough today. Probably talked too much. So. Well, I hope you get some video and podcast stuff with um, with Grant Gibbs. Um, and and he, it looked like he had a few interesting things. And again, I saw things in the in this video that I did not see in the previous video, like when he was moving his hogs. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. So um, I would I would like I'm I'm looking forward to videoing some of this stuff. You know, I, I there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there. I was going to see him last fall, but um, you know, permies went down all of a sudden. I was out that way. I was like I'm going to go see him the very next day. And then in the middle of the night, the, the site crashed because the hosts were dummies. And um, and so I had to go back to Missoula, and I moved the whole site over to a new host, and everything's been fine ever since. But, um, all right, if you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com, where we talk about farm income, homesteading, and permaculture all the time.